We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yo, what's up, Roto-Grinders, and welcome to Sharp DFS Analysis here on Roto-Grinders.com. My name is Chris Gimino. I am an analyst here at RG, and we'll be going over the Week 17 action with two of the smartest guys in the business. Uh, joining us in the absence of Warren Sharp, we've got Bobby Five filling in. Bobby, what's going on, man? Hey, man, happy to be here with you. Uh, it's going to be tough to fill in for Warren Sharp, but uh, going to do my best, and uh, yeah, really happy to be doing the show with you guys. Uh, you know Bobby from Rotor Grinders, and also you may have seen him near the top of tournament leaderboards from time to time. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing what you have to say about the Week 17 action, and we're going to try to get things done for the listeners. Also joining me, we've got the senior DFS editor of 444.com, Chris Raybon. Raybon, what's happening? What's going on, man? Last show uh, before the uh, New Year, so it's ended on, a, ended on a good note. Hell yeah, let's get it done. We've got a lot to talk about. It's Week 17, and realistically, we have – a lot of information in front of us, and a lot of it's actually going to change before you even listen to the show. So what we're going to do is start the show and just talk really basically about the motivations of the teams that are fighting for something this week. And, you know, you probably heard it other places this week. That's fine. Never hurts to get this banged into your skull one last time before you start to make your lineups this weekend because, quite frankly, it's very, very, very important to understand who's going to be on the field. It's not exactly like the other weeks where – it was pretty clear, crystal clear. This guy starts the game. He's probably going to get X number of touches. Well, it's not always that clear in week 17, uh, depending on the motivations of the team. So, Bobby, I'll start with you. We're going to the AFC. Let's talk about the Bills real quick. They're going to be needing a win and some help to get into the playoffs here. So, they'll be facing the Miami Dolphins. And, uh, you know, obviously the Bills are going to not exactly know what their situation is. So, we expect them to be playing full out here, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think this is one of the spots you can definitely look to uh, attack. I know I'm very interested in LaShawn McCoy with the value that's opening up. He's one of the uh, the higher end running backs that I'm definitely looking at this week. And uh, yeah, they they have something to play for. So not that's not true for a lot of teams this week. And like you said, it's a really really different kind of week. So. Uh, hopefully, uh, I'm still am figuring it out as we go because we're just getting information, you know, as the show was coming on, you know, we, uh, we got DeMarco Murray ruled out. So there's a lot of things to look at, but, uh, yeah, the, the bills are definitely a spot. You, you know, you know, they're what they're going to bring. They're going to try and they need to win this game. So we can expect them to go full out here. One of the things they need, Chris, is they need the Titans to, uh, to lose in this spot. They're going to be up against the Jaguars. And according to all indications, the Jaguars are not exactly taking their foot off the gas here in this spot. We'll have to re- Remains to be seen whether or not Coughlin and Co. are going to actually try to pull that Giants nonsense where they play all out the last game of the season, try to keep the Titans out of the playoffs here, uh, especially since I think there's some chance they could actually end up playing the Titans uh, in the next week. So what's what's the deal here with the Titans? We got, we got no DeMarco Murray. We'll talk about this game a little bit more in the next segment, but any, any news and notes about their motivation? Yeah, it's interesting because the Jaguars, if they if they win the game, they would essentially knock Tennessee out of the playoffs and not have to play them. Um, if they lose the game, the most likely thing is they're going to end up playing the Titans. So we've seen in the past when teams are gonna, you know, about to play a team the next week, they kind of they do take their foot off the gas. But it's interesting because if you know, since this is a Vegas show, um, most of the over unders for these games have gone down. On, they open because we've gotten news of teams resting players this is the one game I believe at least as we record this now where the over-under is actually higher than it was when it opened it opened at 41 and I'm looking at 41.5 right now so um, you know the, the line has changed where it's gotten a lot tighter um, Tennessee opened as a six-point favorite so I think there was this assumption that Jacksonville was going to rest their players now it looks like you know uh, odds makers are starting and betters are starting to take more ser- seriously that they're not going to rest their players and we kind of saw this last season with with a team like the Giants when they had a meaningless week 17 game they were in the playoffs already but they played the Redskins hard and actually beat them and kept them out of the playoffs so I'm not you know writing off Jacksonville here and saying you know they're, they're gonna kind of just you know, completely take the foot off the gas in the middle of the game. I'm treating this – I think you have to treat this like a normal like a normal game. And, um, you know, but as you said, DeMarco Murray ruled out. Uh, Derrick Henry should get a, a huge workload. And the Jaguars have been somewhat of a run funnel this season with that weak best pass defense. They've been, you know, a little more average against the run. So I think that is the way to attack them. And, and Henry will get a huge workload. Yeah, so that, that's an interesting game to keep an eye on. 42 is the total and pinnacle, so three-point favorites there for the Tennessee Titans. A little bit more on that in just a minute. we got the Chargers. You know, they're going to be obviously needing to win to get in. Looks like Melvin Gordon's going to try to give, give it a go, Bobby. How do you read that backfield situation real quick? Yeah, I think that you would. I think Melvin Gordon, uh, assuming he plays, is definitely in play. Uh, there's other guys who I'm probably leaning more towards. I think I'm more interested in the passing game in this one. I just don't know how healthy he is, and I think that when all else fails, they tend to San Diego's team tends to rely on Rivers. So that's sort of how I'm trying to attack uh, the San Diego spot. I think that uh, Rivers and Allen are both uh, really, really, really high on my board. Baltimore Ravens, Chris, are going to, uh, you know be likely to earn a wild card spot here in this game. It looks like perfect going to be out for the Bengals. So probably going to be a run script here for the Ravens, or do you see it differently than I do? Oh, no, the Ravens always would prefer to run the football. That's why they brought in Greg Roman 
uh, this year. They wed the league in pass attempts the last few years. So I think you're going to see a heavy dose of Alex Collins. He plays a little over 50% of the snaps, but usually a lot for about at least 18 touches. And he's been getting targeted more in the passing game. The concern is always Javoris Allen gets subbed in kind of, there's no rhyme or reason he will get red zone carries. He will get carries inside the 10. So I think Collins is in play, but you just have to keep in mind that there's a chance he could get vultured on the goal line or just uh, lose some snaps, especially if they go up big late in the game, because he is their best player on offense right now for, for those who haven't really seen many Raven games. I don't blame you, but uh, Collins has kind of transformed into the best player that Baltimore has on offense. He's their most explosive player. He's the best player at making tacklers miss. So um, that's the concern there, but the matchup is, is it sets up really well for him. They are uh, between nine and a half and 10 point home favorites, depending where you look. So um, good script for Baltimore running backs in, in this one. Just wish uh, Collins got a few more snaps. Bobby, it looks like the Steelers are punting this week. No levy on bell. No Big Ben for the matchup here. How are you kind of interpreting this spot for both the Steelers and the Browns? Because quite frankly, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't necessarily think that the line here makes like, perfect sense to me. The, the Steelers are still big favorites against the Browns, and with no Big Ben, no Antonio Brown, no Le'Veon Bell, uh, do you think the Browns actually have a chance here in this spot? They are currently getting seven points. The over-under, by the way, is 36 and a half. Yeah, I think they do. I think I'm staying away from the offenses for the most part in this one, although I am going to take some shots on Josh Gordon on the Cleveland side of the ball. I don't think that uh, the Pittsburgh side, I, I just can't figure out where I want to go except for their defense. I'm, I'm interested in, I just, I believe I'm picking, in picking on Kaiser. I still think that in this actual game that you have a real chance for Cleveland to, to actually pull out, pull out a victory, their first victory of the year. But uh, for the most part, the guys I'm looking at are just really the Steelers defense. And uh, yeah, Josh Gordon is pretty much it for me. Looks like the Kansas City Chiefs are also going to be resting some guys here, Chris. That means we're going to get Pat Mahomes at the starting quarterback position for the Kansas City Chiefs. Ridiculously cheap on DFS sites. Does that mean we should be looking at the preseason superstar as someone to target here in DFS? Or are you kind of a little bit skeptical that, you know, going against the Broncos that he could struggle in his first NFL start? I'm I'm a little skeptical. I know if Warren were here, he'd probably launch it to something about, you know, how tough it is for, you know, to go play a mile high and, you know, this defense still has some veterans and whatnot. And, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of buy into that narrative, you know, uh, anytime you have a, a quarterback making their first start and it's on the road and then you add in mile high and you still have, you know, some good players on Denver, they're playing for pride here. Kansas City really has nothing to play for. So, you know, even if Mahomes is out there really excited, you know, it's his first start. He's giving it his all. Um, who knows about the, how, the motivation for the other players on the team? I mean, you have offensive linemen, you have backs, you have receivers, and, you know, who knows where their motivation's at and what, what kind of supporting cast he's even going to be rolling with. Whereas Denver, I mean, aside from normal injured players, it doesn't look like they're necessarily going to be uh, resting anyone on defense. So I think that's a really tough matchup for Mahomes. You know, I get it. I, I get the theoretical upside there. So, you know, in a tournament, we've seen crazier things happen, but I'm not really a player that I want to target too much, especially because I've, you know, heard a lot of other people kind of want to be on him. So there's just not as much leverage there. I don't think And this, there's a ton of options. I mean, there's a, it's a 16 game slate, 32 quarterbacks here. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways you could go. So it's not, not somebody I'm really excited about. I think he could struggle you know, uh, on the in the on the road in Mile High against Von Miller and Akeem Talib and Chris Harris and company. 
Bobby, sometimes you don't know what to do with the Patriots, and sometimes they're 16-point home favorites with one available running back. I think it's pretty clear what to do with Deion Lewis this week. Yeah, you play him. Um, there's pretty much not anything else to uh, to do about it. And I totally uh, I totally agree with Chris about uh, Mahomes, by the way. I just wanted to throw that in. I think the future for Mahomes is incredibly bright. I love this guy as an actual player, but this is not a great situation to go play your first game at Mile High. But, yeah, uh, I think that you play Deion Lewis, and uh, that's pretty much it. Like, I really am just that's, – that's my entire interest in that game. I'm not going to buy into that they're going to try and, you know, throw the ball and score 500 points. I think that you're going to get a lot of work from Lewis, and that's, uh, that's mostly where I'm looking. All right, Chris, let's jump to the NFC where the Seahawks, uh, they're going to need some help to get in the playoffs here. We're looking at a relatively tough matchup by the numbers here against Arizona and a team that just hasn't played all that well on offense when the Seahawks. Where do you stand on Russ Wilson and the passing game in this spot? Obviously, we know they just can't run the ball. Yeah, I like Russell Wilson. I like him every week um, pretty much after seeing what he's done, you know, uh, kind of starting the, the, the early to the middle part of the season. Um, Russell Wilson still leads the league in uh, games of 24 or more DraftKings points with nine, um, even after a couple of clunkers these last few weeks. And, you know, this is a kind of an unmotivated Arizona team. I mean, they really have nothing to play for except getting to 500. They're going to the link where the crowd is going to be fired up, and they they have a real chance to make the playoffs. And as you mentioned, I think it really just comes down to the fact that uh, Russell Wilson is Seattle's offense. 82% of their of their offensive yardage and 30, uh, you know, all but one of their touchdowns. So given that, I think uh, Wilson is a, a high upside tournament option I know his price is kind of up there to where people are kind of looking and saying there's so many other quarterbacks on the slate I don't need to pay up for Wilson but there's also so much value on the slate that you know if Wilson happens to be that that you know high scoring quarterback or that top three quarterback on the slate which is a you know definitely within his range of outcomes uh, I think that you know he, he makes for a nice a nice play especially in uh, GPPs. Bobby, the last time I saw Julio Jones facing the Carolina Panthers, he was dropping my hopes and dreams in the end zone after a busted zone coverage. Uh, a week where he wasn't necessarily all that highly owned, to say the least, uh, was disappointing that when that happened. Now we're getting Carolina coming off the last four weeks, giving up the most points to the wide receiver position, and they absolutely uh, are looking to win this game. What's the deal here with the Falcons, and what do you think about Julio and Matt Ryan this week? Uh, I'm obsessed with Julio. I'm going to play him. I, I did have 100% of him that week, so that drop, that big drop, really, really did hurt me. Um, but I'm not going to. I'm going right back to it. I don't. I, I think that Julio is uh, my number one receiver on the board. I think they're going to go down swinging. If they're going to go down, they're going to go down going to Julio. So I'm obsessed with Julio. I'm going to play a ton of him. I'm using Wilson most places as my quarterback, so I'm not going to play as much Matt Ryan, even though uh, the price makes sense. It's just he's he's really been awful uh, for the most part this year uh, in terms of fantasy and in reality as well. Uh, but I'm 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 all about Julio Jones. I'm going to have him uh, pretty much everywhere. They are four point favorites against the Carolina Panthers, Chris. And when you take a look at the other side of the ball and what Cam Newton's been able to do in their recent stretch of success, uh, are you expecting? them to find some offense on the other side of this that makes this game somewhat stackable? Or is this kind of a situation where you think there's going to be too much ownership, too much attention on a 16-game slate to really get excited about the spot? I think this is a, an interesting game for me. And as we record this one that I'm not uh, – my, my kind of outlook hasn't fully formed yet because um, as I'm looking at this game and, you know, this is – again, this is a Vegas show, so we should talk about this. The – the line on that game opened at, at 47, the over-under, and now it's down to 45. 
and the Falcons have also gained a half a point on the line. So um, there is some, I guess, some kind of skepticism with this Carolina Panther offense, which is interesting because the Falcons have really struggled with their pass defense in the last four games, even though opponents haven't put up crazy numbers on the scoreboard over the past four weeks, the Falcons have allowed uh, 99 of 128 passing. That's a 77.3 completion percentage. Uh, they've also allowed uh, 8.1 yards per attempt over that span with eight touchdown passes and just two interceptions. So Carolina has been, um, excuse me, Atlanta has been vulnerable through the air um, however, there, there seems to be some skepticism about, you know, whether, whether this is a, a, a good spot for Carolina going on the road. They did struggle somewhat uh, with Tampa Bay last week, a little bit of a lower scoring game than you might have predicted. I know the, there was a kick return in there, which kind of essentially took a drive away from Carolina, but Carolina didn't really blow Tampa Bay out of the water the way you might have thought they would. So I do, I do kind of see both sides to it here. I, I think Cam Newton is a guy that I wouldn't be scared of playing just because he's got double digit rush attempts over his last uh, three games, actually averaging 13.3 uh, attempts per game over his last three. And that rushing floor gives him about, I think in uh, 10 of his last 11 games, he's got at least four, 4.4 rushing points. So it kind of gives you a little extra floor with Cam, and we know the ceiling is there, especially with the way Atlanta's been struggling. So I'm not scared of him, but um, you know, just want listeners out there to know there is some skepticism, I guess, of Carolina maybe going on the road, laying an egg. You know, they're, they're not as motivated as Atlanta, so maybe you know, if thing, other things break a certain way and and Carolina gets down, they they might they even might not go full full throttle here. You know, Cam's been on the injury report with a shoulder, and you know, some other guys a little bit banged up as well so um, that's kind of an interesting one like that. I think you got to kind of leave it for, for tournaments a little more but um, you know Cam Newton's always a guy that he, he has he can match any quarterback on the slate's upside. Yeah that line did drop and I'm a little bit skeptical right now because of how early in the week it is and it is week 17 you know 64% of the tickets but 94% of the money on the under in that game um, not completely convinced that that's not some sort of a setup move. I mean, with that, with that kind of lopsided nature, I don't know with the line of, you know, even at 47 with these two teams, if everyone's just that convinced that the under is going to hit in this game. So uh, a little bit curious to see if that line moves back the other direction as we get closer to game time. I'm not making a statement either way. I don't think you can know anything just by those numbers or that information, but uh, certainly made some good points about why people might be expecting uh, the Panthers to struggle here on the road in this particular situation. If that, is in fact the case. Let's talk about the Saints here, Bobby. They are going to want to win to make sure they get a wild card a home game here. They're not going to want to slip to that five seed. What's the take here on the Saints? How do you think that they are going to attack in this spot? I think that, I mean, for me, the number one is it's Kamara. I'm, he's my favorite. Uh, he's my favorite play in the game, probably. I don't mind uh, anybody else. Breeze, Thomas, uh, I think everybody's in play. But for me, the most of my interest in this one on that side of the ball is definitely on Kamara. I don't mind uh, running it back with, uh, you know, some of Tampa Bay. I actually don't think that – I just can't figure out where to go. I mean, you got a good price on Evans, but Lattimore has been an absolute lockdown except for last week against Julio. I just think that it's a it's a spot where I'm still trying to figure out the Tampa Bay side of it, but on the New Orleans side, for me, it's mostly Kamara with a little bit of Thomas and Breeze. Yeah, um, I, I think this game is a really interesting one because I believe it's the highest over-under we have now. Uh, opened at uh, around 50 or 51, depending where you look, and it's still sitting up there. It has dropped the point, maybe a half a point also, depending where you look. But um, on one side of the ball, I think – 
I, I, some, there's some interesting kind of trends to note actually on both sides of the ball here. So, or in the running and passing game for, for the Saints. On, in the, on the running game side, the, the whole Ingram versus Kamara thing. First, I'll start by saying that both of those guys every week have week winning upside. They both have, you know, top overall running back upside. I know a lot of times people feel like they have to kind of choose and take a stand and, you know, only one guy is the right player. Where in reality, both of those guys have, you know, overall running back one within their range of outcomes every week. But um, I, I did notice some interesting trends. So from week six, which was the first game when Adrian Peterson was not on the Saints roster any longer, uh, till week 13, which was the game before Kamara left with a concussion, um, for, for those that remember, Mark Ingram was averaging 20.6 touches per game from week six to 13. Kamara only 13.9 touches per game. Then, you know, when Kamara came back from that concussion, these last two weeks now, Kamara 18.5 touches per game, Ingram only 16.5. So Kamara has finally started to uh, out-touch Ingram. And it's not just, you know, in terms of the touches, it's also in terms of how the offense is running. And I heard a commentator, uh, I'm not sure if it was this week, the week before, but talking about the Saints offense and, and, and quoting, I believe it was either Drew Brees or Sean Payton, but they said, you know, after Kamara left that game with the concussion, they had to really recalibrate because so much of their offense is built around Kamara now. And they had to really, you know, take a while, just like a quarter to figure out what they could do and what they couldn't with him off the field. And the numbers kind of back that up because, over these last two weeks, uh, Kamara is getting a touch on 53.6% of his snaps, whereas from uh, week 6 to 13, he was only getting a touch on 41.6% of his snaps. So he's, uh, Kamara is touching the ball on 12 percentage points higher uh, of his snaps over these last two weeks compared to earlier in the season. And for Ingram, that trend is kind of reversed a bit where – from week 6 to 13, Ingram was touching the ball on 58% of his snaps, but over the last two weeks, that's down to just 45%. So the snaps aren't changing as much as just the utilization for those two guys where they're kind of uh, making Kamara more of a focal point. And then for Michael Thomas, one thing I think is interesting with him is that, you know, Tampa Bay, ever since they got they got destroyed by, the, by uh, Julio uh, in, in week 12, they gave up the 250 – uh, three yards and two touchdowns on 12 catches in week 12 to Julio Jones. They've been a lot better versus opponents. Number one perimeter receiver in week 13, they held Devonte Adams to just four catches and 42 yards on six targets. Week 14, Marvin Jones, just uh, three catches for 64 yards on only four targets. And in week 15, they were able to shut down Julio uh, only three catches and 54 yards on eight targets. And then last week, Devin Funches only four targets and three catches for 11 yards. So, Tampa Bay has been better over these last four weeks at containing opposing number one perimeter wide receivers. Um, you know, obviously Michael Thomas is going to get a ton of targets here as long as he's healthy, but just something to keep in mind there. Yeah, certainly uh, Ryan Smith hasn't been the one contributing to most of that. Uh, they are crediting most of what Tampa Bay is allowing to him by the looks of it. I mean, the guy, you know, has only got a couple of guys above him in like three or four different categories, yards per attempt, yards allowed touchdowns allowed as far as his stats and coverage this season he hasn't even played the whole season and he's creeping up there in a lot of those categories really a guy that you'd like to see your number one wide receiver getting covered by one-on-one unfortunately as we talked about pre-show Chris these wide receiver cornerback matchups they're not always as easy to spot as as uh, we seem to make them believe but certainly Michael Thomas not in a terrible spot 
but you make some good points there about what Tampa Bay has done the last couple of weeks here. So that's certainly worth keeping in mind when you go to make your selections from the Saints this week. Bobby, let's talk about the Los Angeles Rams. They are resting tons of guys. You're not going to get golf. You're not going to get Gurley. You're probably not getting any of the starting wide receivers for any significant time in this game. What in the hell is going on with Sean Mannion? And what are we doing for DFS with these guys? For me, I've been trying to figure this one out for a while because I've got a lot of people telling me to play the Niners defense, and I think that's just a foolish move. I, I still believe in the, systems, the system the Rams run. They're going to have some success against this Niners defense, and I, the guy I'm actually most interested in is Josh Reynolds. Um, I don't know where the ownership's going to end up on him. You would probably have a better idea about that than I would. But assuming that we really don't see these guys, <laughs> assuming we don't see these guys, uh, he's a guy at minimum cost who I believe in as a talent uh, just from being in L.A. and from what you hear around the uh, – I don't know, around – the Twitter sphere or whatever, uh, they, they like this kid, and I actually believe in him. So I think that he's in a decent spot. They, if there's, you know, if Woods isn't out, you know, he's going to eat up a lot of that role, even though you don't have Goff throwing the ball. I'm not. It's not like these guys aren't NFL players. I mean, Mannion, whatever. It's he's still in the NFL. I think that you can get some real value here, and I think there's real upside for uh, a guy like Reynolds. He's the guy I'm most interested in on the Rams side of the ball. Yeah, Bobby, don't at me about ownership this weekend if Sunday rolls along and something's not perfect here. This is going to be a very challenging week. I will do my damnness, though, to try to get a pretty good projection here on rotorgrinders.com as far as ownership is concerned. I'm sure Chris will be doing the same one for four. Uh, let's talk about what's happening with the Minnesota Vikings, Chris. We've got a situation where they're probably going to want to be winning this game. They're motivated, certainly, to do so. Uh, the matchup doesn't necessarily speak volumes as far as a spot we would normally want to target, especially not on a 16-game slate. But very few teams have the kind of motivation they have, and they are one of the better teams in the league. How are you treating these players, especially the wide receivers like Thielen and Dix? You know, I think both of those guys are in play, as is Case Keenum. Let's not forget Case Keenum, because if you're looking for kind of, you know, that, that quarterback that's going to be low-owned and, you know, he has everything in place that he could have a big game. Um, I think Keenum is it because he has the two wide receivers. He has a defense that, you know, an opponent that they're not I – wouldn't, they, I wouldn't say they're as – they're not an elite defense as much as they just kind of limit opposing possessions and play pretty solidly. But they, they can be beat. I mean, they're kind of an average defense, 14th in – Overall DVOA, 14th against the pass, 13th against the rush in, in Chicago. So the one thing to keep in mind with them is they are 20th in DVOA versus number one receivers. So I think Adam Thielen is kind of a sneaky play where we know that he has that upside. We know the talent is there, and he's kind of been quiet these last few weeks. But now with uh, looks like you're, you're going to have to kind of – you're going to have a lot of salary to play around with this week. So you can actually afford a guy like Thielen who's going to get a lot lower ownership than I think Julio and Michael Thomas and guys like that. I think Thielen's in a good spot. Diggs has actually been out targeting Thielen over these last few weeks, kind of reclaimed that, that number one. But I think both these guys are supremely talented. I think it, it, there's, there's not going to be too much resistance there. It's just a matter of does Minnesota want to go – uh, extremely run heavy and just kind of get out of there with a win. That's the only question, but I could certainly see uh, Thielen or Diggs making, making a big play. But I did want to go back to that, that Rams 49ers game for a minute, just because I think there's a lot you know, to talk about just beyond even just um, Josh Reynolds, who I like a lot, but there's just so much at play here because, you know, you have to think about, okay, well the Rams now they're going to be resting starters. So it's, it's not just that, 
okay, you're going to sub in Mannion and, and Reynolds and, and Malcolm Brown at the running back position, but you also have a few uh, offensive linemen resting. You're probably you're going to have no uh, Andrew Whitworth. And so you're going to have a, a few backup O-linemen uh, playing in this game. So I think that it, there, there could be, it could be challenging for this Rams team just with, with, with backup offensive linemen. Ruben Foster, the linebacker for San Francisco, has been playing extremely well. He is PFS number four rated linebacker overall this season. He's number three. Run. And San Francisco really shutting the run down. So earlier in the week, I was, you know, Malcolm Brown was kind of looking like that free square and that guy you can just plug in. But now there's so much value has opened up that I don't even think Malcolm Brown is, you know, no longer, a, he's not, he's no longer a must player or anything like that just because there's so much value all the way around. But if you just look at what San Francisco has done in run defense over these past few weeks, over the last three weeks, just 68, uh, just 198 ca- uh, yards allowed on 68 carries to running backs. So they're allowing under three yards per carry to running backs over the past three weeks. I think Malcolm Brown, he's going to have to make hay in the passing game, which is where San Francisco really does struggle. They, they struggle a lot at covering running backs out of the backfield. Malcolm Brown has executed a, a ton of screen passes. If you watch his tape throughout this year when he's been on the field, he has some catches and he has been able to get a double digit chunks of yards on those. I think he's going to need that to kind of produce there but you know from a Vegas perspective it's interesting as well because this game is a game where it's uh the Rams are still implied for 20 points which is pretty high considering they're they're going to start you know a backup quarterback backup running back backup wide receivers uh backup O-linemen and stuff like that they're still they still have a 20 point implied total which you know for some for some context I mean Dallas's implied point total is is around the same place and they're probably going to have Dak and Zeke going um, against a Philly team that's going to rest some people. So, um, you know, that, that there is some, I guess, there's a lot of optimism for the Rams. And I think their receiving core is going to be Josh Reynolds on the outside. You're probably going to have Mike Thomas on the other side on the, and, and then Farrell Cooper in the slot. I think Farrell Cooper is another uh, name where, especially on a site like DraftKings, I think Cooper could get a ton of volume. Reynolds is your big play guy. He, he's kind of the, uh, you know, the, the outside guy that you expect to get the red zone targets and, and some deep shots. But Cooper's the guy I could see get, you know, five, six, seven, seven catches if he's going to play the whole game. So uh, just a lot of interesting things there. And then on the other side, you got to think if the Rams are resting players on offense, they're probably also resting players on defense. Looks like Aaron Donald's not going to play. So this is another situation where I think Jimmy Garoppolo has a chance to really keep it going because the Rams aren't going to be going full tilt. And if you take Aaron Donald out of the mix of that defense, that really limits uh, to a a large extent what Wade Phillips Phillips can now do. And you might just see a more uh, vanilla defense going to get for, for Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, he, he, he played well against the Jaguars last week where the 49ers put up 44 points against this number one defense in the league in the Jacksonville Jaguars. So this is a situation where just a lot of interesting things regarding this game. If, if Jimmy Garoppolo is scoring and putting up points on the Rams, that kind of creates a situation where maybe now you're looking at a, a potential shootout and, and maybe that's how these receivers come to hit value and um, maybe even, you know, Malcolm Brown catching a lot of uh, check down. So I, I think that's a really fascinating game. And that's when I encourage people to, to kind of do the research on and check out, you know, which, which Rams um, players they like and which 49ers players that they like as well. I don't know if it's necessarily about the defense in this game on either side of the ball, as much as it is that there will be value on the offensive side of the ball for both teams. 
I give Blake Bortles all the credit in the world for playing better this season. But, you know, despite the fact that trending performance-wise, the 49ers have been pretty good against the run, 18th season long, but just ninth uh, the last uh, four weeks or so in terms of rushing efficiency allowed. You know, we're talking about a team that allowed hundreds and hundreds of yards to Blake Bortles up and down the field late in that game last week. So we talk about a shootout potential here. If the Rams do struggle to run the ball, have some confidence in the play caller, have some confidence in some of those backup talents that maybe this could be a game where there's some offense and think that all the points you made are tremendous, Chris. Kudos to you as far as breaking down that game. Uh, Bobby, one last game to talk about from a motivations standpoint, or should one last team, I should say. Chris mentioned them. It's the Eagles. You know, they are 13-2. and two. They are not likely to play a ton of guys who matter in this game. They've already ruled out uh, several guys, or at least mentioned that they're going to not play the entire game. So what's the situation here with the Eagles? Obviously, I think we have to avoid guys like Foles and the starting offensive players. Is there any other usable asset that you think is available in this game from this team? Because it's such a massive week and there's so much else out there, to be honest with you, I don't really have any Eagles on my anywhere right now. That could change, but I, as of right now, I'm sort of staying away from this spot. I don't feel comfortable with it, and there's enough, of, there's enough other places I can find value that I don't feel like I need to go here. I may be missing something, though, so I'd be interested to hear what Chris has to say if there's something uh, maybe I'm overlooking. No, I think earlier in the week, the guy I was hoping for – was Trey Burton, the tight end. If Zach Ertz was to get ruled out, I think Trey Burton would be in for kind of, as he's shown in the past, he kind of takes on that, that Ertz role as the receiving tight end. But if they're going to play kind of the starters for a little while and then the backups and then, you know, the backup quarterback is uh, Sudfeld, I believe. So we, he's pretty unproven. We, we really have no idea what, what he can do in this week in, in, in real life game action. So, it's it's kind of a stay away there. I'm sure somebody will end up with a with a good fantasy day. It's just really difficult to pinpoint. I would have liked if, if they were going to rule guys out. I was I was kind of looking at you know Burton and maybe Corey Clement if he was going to get more more of a full workload or somebody like Wendell Smallwood getting a full workload. But as of now, yeah, it's just kind of looks like they're going to split it up between between everybody. All right, awesome stuff, guys. So we kind of mi mixed our two segments there. We're going to go over what would normally be our second segment now, in which we would be talking about the over-unders of each game, which game we think we could take advantage of uh, from you know, a betting perspective and also from a DFS perspective, which games could go over the total, which favorites could struggle, which underdogs could succeed. But now we'll kind of just kind of blend our last conversation into some games we didn't talk about as much in that particular segment. I want to talk about Houston and Indianapolis, Bobby, and Chris too, because I want to hear what both of you guys have to say about this game. Uh, we're looking at no DeAndre Hopkins for the Texans. We're looking at their, you know, third-string quarterback, essentially, T.J. Yates out there. We're looking at a team that lacks motivation in every sense of the word, as I, if I can imagine an NFL player could be lacking motivation other than wanting to put some good stuff out there on tape, as they always will want to do. But as far as the playoffs, as far as any meaningful issue and win-loss, it's just not there for that team. And I don't think that the Colts are much different, but they've been playing like that way for weeks. So. If you talk about a defense that could potentially be out some guys too, I think I saw that Kareem Jackson uh, could potentially miss this game. Uh, they're already not playing very well in the secondary, Bobby. There's just a lot of angles to take advantage of here from an offensive perspective if you're looking at the Indianapolis Colts. How do you feel about Percet? How do you feel about T.Y. Hilton? How do you feel about Frank Gore and all these guys on the Colts? Because this spot looks pretty good. Five-and-a-half-point favors 
40 over under at home for the Colts. Yeah, and you get the narrative of it possibly being Gore's last game. At least that's what uh, we're hearing. It. But I, for me, I'm mostly interested. Hilton absolutely dis, dis, dismantled this uh, Houston Texas and Texans uh, team in Houston. I love Ty. I love Doyle, and I love Brissett. Those are probably the three guys. I'm you know I'm are I'm probably using the heaviest. Uh, I'm a little disappointed with the Hopkins being out because I think it did change my love for this game stack, and that was really where I wanted to go. I still think you can do it. I just don't think it's quite as exciting as it was before. Uh, Fuller on the other side, but for the most part, I, I think Brissett makes for an excellent play. You know, he's not going to – this is him playing – you know, he's playing for his future. Also, these guys have chances. And he's, you know, we've seen what guys can do in Week 17 have a big impact on their future overall. And with luck coming back, obviously, next year, I don't, he's not going to be there. But, um, you know, I don't know. I just think – I think this is a real spot where you, you go for Brissett, you play Hilton, and you play Doyle. And I don't even mind all three of them in the same lineup if you want to run it back with Fuller on the other side. All right, Chris, what do you think? This game is somewhat interesting to me. I, I know that we're going to see a lot of ownership in DFS on T.Y. Hilson. Probably see a little bit on the quarterback as well. I don't think you're going to see a ton on the Indianapolis side, maybe short of a Jack Doyle as far as ownership in DFS is concerned. Do you think this is a spot where you could find some leverage anyway? Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with, uh, you know, with everything that was just said. It's, it's, it's a good spot for, for Hilton. I think that's the, the guy I was really zoned in on. He's, this is the, the type of situation where I, I, I like to play Hilton, you know, at home, indoors, against a bad pass defense that has been beaten down the field as the Houston Texans have. They're, they're, if you look at air yards uh, allowed, they're, at the, they're right there at the top of the league in terms of the teams just throwing the ball down the field on them. So I think T.Y. Hilton is really the guy that stands out, but then you do have the narrative of Frank Gore, not only potentially being his last game, but he is uh, 149 yards shy of a thousand rushing on the year. And we've already seen them give him, you know, 30, 30 plus carries in a game. So it's, it's not out of the question that, you know, if they want to make him, I believe he joined like some kind of company is like one of the oldest people to rush for a thousand or the oldest. I don't know exactly. I forget exactly what it is, but I've, I've seen it kind of circulating on Twitter and, and Gordon did play 74% uh, of the snaps last week. And his season average is only about 53. So it, it does seem like they're kind of, they're kind of letting him get that workload as the season kind of, kind of goes into the dust. So I think, I think you, uh, I think you, you look at Gore, and I think he's a guy that, that you could look to for some for some value, even though he hasn't shown a huge ceiling. Yeah, you know, this could be a game where they they give him the goal line work, they give him um, they give him a lot of carries, and then and then yeah, I think it's Ty Hilton. I think Doyle is always kind of in play, is just because he has such a large market share of uh, the tight end, um, you know, of the Indianapolis Colts uh, passing game. But one thing to keep in mind too is when you look at kind of Hilton and Doyle. Um, in Hilton's big games, Doyle's usually a little quieter, and I guess that's just because if Hilton's kind of doing, you know, eating up chunk yardage, um, there's not as much there for those kind of under the knee, underneath uh, completions to Doyle. But um, I, I think Hilton is probably my favorite play in this game. I do like Brissett a lot. And, uh, you know, I think Will Fuller has a lot of upside that too. I like him as a tournament play a lot. I think if this game does go with that kind of Brissett to Hilton game flow where they can hit on a couple of passes and – they're firing on all cylinders. You're going to have a situation where it's, it's like an opposing passing game correlation. Houston's still going to have to play the game. And, uh, you know, the, you could see a situation where Will Fuller, we already know he's, he gets a lot of air yards, a lot of targets deep down the field. You could have a situation where if they're in comeback mode, he's getting double-digit targets with a lot, of, a lot of stuff down the field and maybe mixing in some easy completions 
in a prevent defense. So I, I do, I think Will Fuller has a ton of upside. I wouldn't be surprised, for example, to, to see Will Fuller finish as a top three, uh, top five wide receiver. And then the other thing to watch in this game is Alfred Blue has actually been kind of serving as the, the lead back over these past few weeks over Lamar Miller. So he's a guy that we could see him get a full workload as they go into evaluation mode uh, for, for next year as well. And kind of Lamar Miller taking a bit of a backseat. That makes sense. But I think I'd rather lose than play out for blue in DFS pretty much forever, pretty much until there is no more DFS to be played. Of course, that's probably not exactly true, but I'm certainly on a 16 game slate trying to be find better options there than the TJ Yates led Texans offense and Alfred Blue. But again, there is, that is certainly something to watch if he is going to be taking that lead role. Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, there, there is an off chance if you're trying to play in some massive, massive tournaments that he's the guy that gets you where you want to go. But let's talk about something I think is more likely to get you where you want to go this week, Bobby. And Chris, like once again, too, I want to hear your take on this game because it's just, it's just very interesting to me when I look at the injury report for the Green Bay Packers in a game that's a 43 over under seven point favorite for the Lions. We're talking about Mike Daniels, defensive tackle. He's questionable. Devontae Adams is out. Jari Evans is out. Nick Perry, he's out. Aaron Jones is out. Richard Rodgers, out. Jordy Nelson, he's out. You've got Aaron Rodgers out for the season on injured reserve. Uh, they're going to be missing Jason Spriggs, a tackle. Marius Randall's questionable. Clay Matthews is questionable. And, of course, we know Bulaga, Montgomery, Rollins all out indefinitely for the season for sure. So who in the hell are the Packers playing, Bobby? Uh, I think the answer is Michael Clark here. Uh, that's the guy I'm going to go roll with anyway. Uh, this guy's big. He's got, what did he run a four, five, 40 and he's six, six. Um, I, I really think he's got some talent. He had nine, nine targets last week. I think he could get, he, I'm, I'm leaning to him ahead of uh, Geronimo Allison, but I think both of them are firmly in play. We've seen Allison have big games in similar type of spots in the past where they were somewhat meaningless and uh, Green Bay was resting players. It's not uh, so ideal with Hundley, but I think that Michael Clark is the guy I'm probably leaning the most towards, but Again, there's a lot of value out there, so you could, you could go a lot of different ways, but this is probably the guy who I'm most interested in in, in this spot on the Green Bay side of the ball. And then on Detroit's side, uh, I think that you could really, you could really make a, a case for just about anyone against uh, the Green Bay defense that's been somewhat skeptical, or I don't know, they've just been sort of – they're shaky defense. Um, so I, I, I personally am leaning towards Clark, but there's just so many plays and so many games out there. He's probably the one I'm leaning towards the most. I was thinking about maybe potentially playing Galladay on the other side, but – not sure I need that value. Uh, I think that Clark is, uh, is where I'm probably going to put my flag in uh, on this in this game. Man, Galladay is just staring at me. But like you said, I mean, you don't even need the guy this week. And it's unfortunate because I just have this sick feeling we're going to see that massive game that he probably is capable of. If you, if you watch the preseason, he had a couple multi-touchdown game show up in the box score for you there if you played him in that particular format. So, Again, lots of injuries here for the Packers. Looks like Bobby's interested in some value. Guys like 6'6". Six, six. Uh, so, uh, you know, could be up against one of the uh, reserve cornerbacks. Chris, we were talking about this before the show. Looks like uh, they could be without Lawson this week on the Detroit side of the ball. How about the Detroit side of the ball, though? We, you know, we talked briefly about Galladay there, but what about the starters? What about Matthew Stafford? What about Golden Tate? What about Marvin Jones against this team that is going to be missing basically – not only their entire starting secondary, but then the guys who were behind them. Yeah, it's a, this, is a, this is fascinating because, first of all, I'll start by saying I think the best play, if you're looking for a play on the De Detroit side of the ball, 
is Matthew Stafford. And you guys kind of alluded to it. He's just been spreading the ball around and it's, it's kind of tough to peg exactly where he's going to go because, you know, he has, there's talent everywhere, whether it's at the running back position with Riddick and, and Abdullah, or it's, you know, at tight end with Ebron coming on or at the receiver position with Gaudet Jones and Golden Tate. So I think Stafford is kind of the guy where you just kind of get all that production and maybe you don't even you know, try to deal with the headache of exactly who to stack him with. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's Green Bay is another defense that's been interesting, similar to Tampa Bay, where Green Bay in uh, also in week 12, they gave up a monster game to Antonio Brown. So he went for 10 catches, 169 yards and a couple touchdowns in week 12. Since that game, Green Bay has been better against number one wide receivers as well. Mike Evans, only two catches, 33 yards on six targets. Then Josh Gordon had the touchdown, but after that, he was pretty much shut down. So he ended up with only three catches uh, for 69 yards in the touchdown on six targets in that game. Then they held Devin Funches to one catch for 19 yards on four targets in week 15. Adam Thielen, only two catches, 24 yards last week, although there, there was some bad weather in that game. But what, what's happened with Green Bay is they've actually given up more production lately to the number two wide receiver of opponents, Corey Coleman, five catches, 62 yards and a touchdown in week 14. Week 15, Demir Bird, three catches, 25 yards, two scores. And then uh, the next week after that, last week, Stephon Diggs, five catches, 50 yards and a touchdown. Now, the difficult thing with that is who is Detroit's number one and number two at this point? Golden Tate has a slight edge over Marvin Jones in targets, but Marvin Jones kind of that number one perimeter guy. So it's, it's really tough to say. Um, Green Bay's been doing, doing a lot better playing some man coverage schemes, and, and, and that's been working for them uh, for whatever reason. When they, when they get in those zones with those, with those kind of you know, replacement-level cornerbacks, it hasn't worked out as well. But you know, Demarius Randall has been able to hold his own in, in man coverage lately. Um, they're getting, it looks like Devon House is going to play as well. So um, you know, I think Stafford is the play there. And on the other side of the ball, I think you know, Michael Carr definitely – you know, is somebody you want to watch. Uh, in week 16, only one receiver, only one player in the league got more air yards than Michael Clark, even though he caught only three passes, 436 yards on nine targets, uh, which is good for somebody coming out of nowhere, nine targets, but um, 182 air yards, an average depth of target of 20.2. That's per airyards.com. So, Michael Clark, there's a lot of uh, kind of missed opportunities there where, you know, there's some hidden upside. And uh, one thing to keep in mind as well, Brett Honley has played better on the road than at home, and they are on the road indoors here. So whether or not going to be a factor, there is a chance that you could maybe see some uh, a little bit of a higher scoring sloppy kind of game than you might otherwise expect, even though Green Bay has all these injuries. But one other guy to keep in mind is Jamal Williams, the running back for the Packers, because the Lions have been getting scraped in the run game ever since Haloti Nata, their defensive tackle, went down for the season. Jamal Williams played over 90% of the snaps last week. The backup Aaron Jones looks like he's going to miss this game with a knee injury, so Williams could get a full workload. And Detroit is uh, 30th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. So um, I think Williams is a guy, you know, 20 touch upside, can catch the ball in the backfield as well. He's a guy that, that could have a big game, even though they're on the road. I also think that, uh, that Williams might end up getting overlooked somewhat just because he's in that sort of mid-tier price range. And I think people are going to sort of go stars and scrubs with the way that they do things this week. And I really, really like the Jamal Williams call. I think he's in, you know, you've got a potential for a monster, monster game here for him, from him at uh, what I think should be somewhat low ownership. I think once I have a chance to kind of digest what people – 
are going to be able to digest from all this injury information and try to, you know, gauge where they are valuing some of these guys. Because I think this is going to be a week where the actual value of the player is going to differ from the ownership percentage more so than in most weeks. A lot of times, you know, the most valuable players end up being the highest owned players on a week, but you're going to see opportunity on a 16 game slate for maybe a guy like Jamal Williams to be undervalued a little bit more so than he even normally would be because you don't need as much salary relief and because there's so many other alternatives available. So that's an interesting point there on Williams ownership, Bobby, that I think I kind of buy into. Maybe he's going to be lower owned than he should be. Uh, when you talk about some other games here, guys, that are not necessarily as far as the motivated segment is concerned, but have some intrigue for DFS, I want to talk just a little bit about what's happening in the Washington versus the New York Giants game. Now, it should be really cold in this game, the over-under just 39 and a half, and the Redskins are actually favored in this spot. I want to talk about a specific player, Chris, though, that I think that uh, you have some interest in. Uh, let's talk just a little bit about Josh Doxson for the Washington Redskins. Now, if you look, if you're a big believer in wide receiver cornerback matchups, which I do think there's some flaws in this types of analysis, I think that you'll see plenty of times where Doxson is going to get lined up with Brandon Dixon. Of course, Norris Jenkins, he out. You talk about Eli Apple, he won't be playing in this game. So you're going to be looking at a guy like a Brandon Dixon potentially getting lined up with Doxson. Let's talk about who this guy is athletically for just a second. This is a guy that ran a 4-4-40, 85th percentile, a guy who ran uh, 90th percentile uh, height-adjusted speed score as far as all of his speed measurables are concerned. So this is a guy who's really, really fast. And this is all per playerprofiler.com, by the way. But when you take a look at some of his other workout metrics, his burst score, 8th percentile burst score. 20th percentile agility score, 24th percentile catch radius. And again, we're just talking about the athletics, athleticism of this guy and how he might match up with a guy like Josh Doxson. You look at what Doxson was able to register. Now, he was pretty fast, you know, right around the 70th percentile in 40-yard and speed score. But his other metrics, the ones that Dixon did not perform well, are really interesting to me. 97th percentile burst score athlete, 81st percentile agility score, 96th percentile catch radius. I think that this is a situation where when you talk about pure athletic matchups, if this guy ends up one-on-one -on -one with Dixon for any particular portion of this game, that Doxon probably has a pretty big advantage over this. So, Chris, I want to throw this to you first. What do you think about Doxon, both from what I just mentioned from an athleticism and matchup standpoint and also from how the Redskins might intend to use him in this game? Yeah, I'm, I'm on board. Those are some great numbers that you threw out there to crystallize it even more, but – essentially the Giants are playing replacement level players throughout their secondary, you know, you know, there's, there's nobody there anymore. I mean, Dominic Rogers, Cromartie is really the only guy and he's, he lines up in the slot. So you're going to have kind of replacement level players um, on the outside and Dotson, I mentioned Michael Clark got 182 air yards last week and was second in the league. Well, the league leader last week of all players was Josh Dotson with 100, uh, 91 air yards. He actually got 13 targets against the Denver Broncos, only caught two of them, but the two he did catch was for 61 yards and a touchdown. So uh, I think Dotson's a guy that as this season winds down, that's one thing that Washington does want to see is they want to see exactly what they have in, in Dotson and he actually has a one third, a team leading 33% of Washington's air yards since week 10. So last week wasn't just an aberration. Um, this is, uh, this has been an ongoing trend that they've ever since Terrell Pryor has kind of been phased out and then went 
on the injured reserve, Josh Dodson has been uh, highly targeted in terms of in terms of you know downfield targets in one third of air yards. That's that's a very good percentage and against this Giants defense that's exactly what you want you want guys who uh, are going to be targeted down the field and there's going to be little resistance and so you can if you get one of those one of those plays to to hit uh, against this Giants team which ranks uh it's given up the second most schedule adjusted fantasy points in the league to opposing wide receivers I think Dotson could be in for a, a pretty big day and just, you know, 13 targets against the Broncos. I mean, if you're getting 13 targets against the Broncos, then um, they're obviously just kind of force feeding you the ball. That's what that says. And I think that you're going to see that continue uh, this week in, in the final game. I really think they do want to see what they have in him. I couldn't right, Bobby, so let's talk about this game just for just a little bit here. Right. No, no, ahead, Bobby, I was going to throw it to you anyway. I just want to talk about what's going on in the rest of this game. So we like Doxon. Any takes on him and any takes on – What's going on with the rest of that offense in Washington? I mean, the thing is, it's, it'd be tempting to – there is, I guess, you, you know, against this one of the all-time terrible teams against tight ends, uh, this Giants defense, uh, that what they've done so far this year. But I think you'd be tempted with Davis. But for me, I'm just going to I'm just gonna limit it to Dotson on that side. I really think that, like I said, if, like uh, Chris said, if you're going to force feed him the ball that many times against the Broncos and you do it in this matchup, um, this is going to be – there's a potential for a monster week. Uh, Dotson's one of my favorite plays on the whole board, but I don't know that I'm going to be looking at a ton of other places except for at Cousins. Uh, Cousins and Dotson are probably my my heaviest interest in this game on that side. On the other side, I am having trouble figuring out who to play. I've probably played too much Roger Lewis and fallen in love with the targets instead of the results, but uh, it's, uh, it hasn't really done much for me. So he would be the guy who I would I was sort of like leaning towards, but with all the other value out there, for me, it's mostly just Dotson and Cousins in this game. I can understand playing Ingram. I just – I don't know. For me, I, I, don't, I don't see the need to go on this Giants passing team. I just – I'm grossed out by the Giants offense as a whole. So, I'm going to limit it just to those two pretty much. I would be floored if the Giants win this game, by the way. They're just floored. I mean, they have – I mean, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what incentive do they have to, to win this game? Yeah, and, 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 and Ingram's actually ruled out. Sorry to cut you guys up. Ingram's actually ruled out, as is Sterling Shepard and Tavares King, it looks like. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be tough for the Giants offense. But Lewis will, would probably be that guy uh, to lead them in targets um, it, now, now that all those guys are ruled out. Yeah, so, that, again, just wanted to make sure we touched on what's going on with the passing game for Washington there. I really do think Cousins and Doxson have a chance as a pairing in DFS this week. Um, as far as, you know, the other games that we've talked about, you know, I, I don't have a lot that I want to retouch on as far as the teams that actually have some motivation. Uh, just want to talk really quickly about Buffalo. Bobby, one more time. We touched on LaShawn McCoy very, very briefly and Kenyon Drake very, very briefly. Uh, those two running backs in that particular game, that looks like there's just going to be a ton of volume to be had, right? Yeah, and we're looking for places to spend up realistically. I mean, I think one strategy to go with this week is would be to leave some money on the table, but I love both those guys, and they're two guys who I'm looking at, and it's not like you're spending way up for them, but if you're looking at guys to spend up for, I feel like both those, Drake and uh, McCoy, are make perfect sense. And it's funny because there used to be the whole narrative in the in DFS, you don't play two running backs from the same game. That's completely out the window, obviously, these days, especially with the pass-catching backs. So I, I think this is a really good spot to play both of them. But I don't know if I'm uh, going to go anywhere else. I don't think that it's, like, horrible to play anyone else. It's just it's too big of a slate, and there's too many other options for me to fall too in love with Tyrod or right, anybody else in this matchup. Chris, last part here in this segment about the Vegas Lions. When you take a look at 
the 39 over under three-point favorite for the Dallas Cowboys in this spot. Any interest on the Dallas Cowboys side of the ball? We touched a little bit on Philadelphia, but we didn't really touch too much on Dallas. Yeah, it's – I think I think you could, you know, there there's so much value that you could afford somebody like Zeke in a tournament. And, I mean, we don't know if he's going to play the whole game or what exactly they're going to do, but – I'm sure being that he was, you know, out for so long that they're going to he's going to he's going to want to kind of rack up some numbers. I think he can get to a thousand yards uh, in this game. So I think Zeke is an interesting, interesting tournament play. But beyond that, it's it's kind of tough. I mean, uh, the, 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 the Eagles defense has been getting shredded uh, at, at times. But Des Bryant is somebody that, you know, he, he's just kind of struggled all season really on his sideline routes and creating separation on those fade routes and those go routes down the sideline. And that's kind of robbed him of a, a lot of upside and him and Dak just really haven't been on the uh, same page on, on those, on those routes. So it, it's really looking to me like, you know, I think Zeke is worth it just as kind of, you know, everyone's going to play, be playing all these cheap running backs. And, you know, if you're getting even maybe three quarters from Zeke, he could do some major damage against a team that is resting its players so that that would be the guy I'm looking for he needs 120 yards to get a thousand on the season I think that's something that he'll want to uh, accomplish in this game a great point there all right that's going to wrap up our segment on Vegas for the week now let's move over to the chalk Bobby let's talk a little bit about who we think is going to be pretty highly owned at running back now originally in my projections I was not real sure who was going to be in and out I had some of these guys like Oliver and Shark Kendrick West and you know, so, so some of these re, Malcolm Brown, these replacement guys is potentially being high on. Now I'm not so sure that's going to be the case. I am pretty damn sure that we're going to see high ownership on Derrick Henry still. Probably not as high as I originally had it, no, noting that the Jaguars are going to likely play their starters for some portion of this game. But I still think that he gets enough touches that he's extremely viable in DFS. Do you want to play him? Yeah, I th- I, I'm interested in him, but I, I think that, you know, being a tournament player mostly, I'm okay with completely fading as well. Just enough other options that I'm interested in. And there's a lot of different ways you can build your lineups this week. You can pay down at running back. You can pay down and take shots at some of these, you know, receivers. And I don't even think they're, they're shots. I think you got receivers in the 4 to 5K range that could end up being top five receivers. Uh, so I think that for me, like, I, I'm going to stick to the guys who are going to be a little lower on. I'll probably play let, be a little lower than the, on the field than Henry. But he is a great play. It's just strictly uh, from an ownership perspective. I don't know entirely where everything else is going to go. Like you said, it's, it's a tough week to figure out. So I don't envy your job at this moment. Um, but I, uh, I think Deion Lewis should get some. And I think uh, I'd be surprised if Drake doesn't get some ownership and Kamara as well. Uh, those would be the guys who I would be pretty sure would get some – it's pretty high ownership regardless. Uh, I still think Malcolm Brown will get some uh, some ownership, even though he's not a guy I'm looking at uh, heavily. Uh, but that's pretty much the guys I have. All right, Chris, truck running backs, where, where are you landed so far? I mean, how do you feel about Henry and Lewis? And is there anyone else that you think gets some traction here from an ownership perspective? Yeah, I think Henry Henry's, you know, with Murray officially ruled out, I think Henry's in a good spot. I didn't really want to be – playing Henry necessarily if Murray was going to kind of gut it out and there was just going to be a lot of uncertainty is exactly what's going on. But if, if Henry is going to be that guy in a, in a must win situation, I think you do want to look at him. I think he's just kind of a, a pretty solid cash game play. The Jaguars actually rank 25th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. They rank in the top 10 
against every other position. So the Jaguars have been – that's where they kind of funnel fantasy production is through the running back. And, you know, and that's with all their starters healthy. So if, if they happen to maybe pull some guys in the second half or whatnot, and I think you're still going to see Henry get that workload because they they can't take any chances, the Titans. But um, so, so I think Henry's a solid, in a solid spot. I'm waiting to see exactly what transpires in New England. Uh, as far as Lewis, it, you know, it looks like you have Mike Gillisley has a, a knee issue and Rex Burke has probably not going to play. And then, you know, James White, he's banged up as well. So um, Lewis could be in for a heavy workload, but got to see exactly what their plan would be if Lewis would be the only, you know, one of those big of those four to go. Um, um, you know, what would they do with the backup? Because I know they've throughout the most of the year, they've been kind of hesitant to play. Uh, Lewis, you know, for more than, you know, 15 or so touches um, and then until the last game where they, he, he got a ton of work, um, you know, 29 carries, I believe it was. So, you know, will they want to do that again with, with the, the number one seed at stake, but at the same time, you know, they, they do have, you know, other ways to go about it. You know, Lewis is a guy who's kind of on the smaller side. I'm not, I don't know if they want to continue running him, you know, giving him that super high workload when they, they still got a home, you know, home field wrapped up in the, uh, for, you know, uh, at least one playoff game. So that, that is, that'll be kind of interesting. I'll, I'll be looking toward the beat reporters and to see exactly what they think will happen with uh, Dion Lewis. But besides that, yeah, I think, I think, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be the same guy. It's going to be Kamara. It's going to be LaShawn McCoy. I think we'll get a uh, decent ownership because people can afford him. Uh, Kenya Drake as well. Cause he's going to come up high in a lot of projection systems with Damian Williams looking doubtful now as we, uh, you know, are on the show. So I think those are going to be the main guys, you know, McCoy, Drake, Kamara. And then depending on what happens with Melvin Gordon, I think you, you'll see some, some ownership on Brandon Oliver if Melvin Gordon sits, but that game is a late game. And, uh, and so it, it might be a situation where people are kind of seeing if they can pivot, you know, maybe they'll pivot from Malcolm Brown to, to Oliver if, if Gordon's inactive or something like that. But that's a little tougher situation just because it's, it's one of the late games. So I think maybe you might see in, 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 in a little ownership, you know, not, maybe not as much ownership on those guys only because that is the late game and there, there might be some uncertainty there and people might just go in a different direction and kind of lock in the guys they know are definitely going to, to play. So I think that's, you know, it's, it, it is kind of tricky this week, um, Alex Collins is a guy who's gotten some buzz. I think he'll have, you know, definitely in the double digits of ownership as well. And then after that, it's kind of a, a crap shoot. I mean, I'm sure you'll see some, some Jamal Williams, some CJ Anderson, uh, and some, some guys like that, but um, it's kind of a crap shoot after those, after those first handful of guys. Wild, wild week. I mean, you, you, you know, you just, you keep rattling off names and there's more names you could keep saying that people theoretically could be owned on a normal week that won't, probably get a lot of ownership this week. Bobby, when you take a look at the wide receiver position, two of the most sure guys this week that I think will have ownership are Julio Jones and T.Y. Hilton for different reasons, but basically the same reason, you know, relative to their price tag, they're capable of outperforming by quite a distance based on their matchup and their role in their offenses and all the other factors that might equate to them having a successful game. What about Keenan Allen though? Because he's a guy that probably should be heavily owned given his role in the offense for that, exact reason, but I'm not 100% sure that we'll see him towards the top. I am, I am thinking it's very likely. So what do you think about Keenan Allen? 
I think he'll get some ownership, but I, don't, I honestly don't think it'll be quite as high as, uh, as these other guys. And I think it should be. Um, I'm all about Keenan Allen this week, but he tends to be someone who's, yeah, he's had his, his few weeks where he's been more chalky, but for the most part, he's, uh, he's been a guy who's been overlooked like throughout his entire career in DFS, at least throughout the last three years that I've been playing seriously. And I think that you could see him sort of fall down a little bit on the list, which would make me have much heavier interest in him because I wouldn't be at all surprised if Keenan Allen just says, you know, by far and away the number one scorer. But, I, you know, him and Julio I have right there next to each other in terms of where I – who I want. Julio I have a, has a slight edge. But Keenan Allen should, I think, be pretty chalky. And I totally agree that T.Y. Hilton and Julio, and Julio are going to be the, the super chalk for good reason. But I don't really know uh, – I don't know other than that. I think it's going to be pretty spread out. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of interest in Dotson – uh, I think people are going to – I think people are aware enough of what this guy is capable of, and we've talked about him enough, enough experts have talked about him enough. And I think that uh, – I'm hoping it's wrong, but I, I think that it's going to be pretty high on him as well. But other than that, I think you're going to look at a pretty spread out ownership. Don't tell anyone I said this, but I don't think this is a week where your first thought about whether you should play a guy or not should even really involve ownership unless you're thinking about guys trying to get guys who have just tremendous prospects for success under 5% because I don't think – the fading, the high ownership guy conversation is a good conversation when there's 16 games, lots of options, and you're just not going to find a tremendous amount of leverage over the, like a huge chunk of the field on really anybody this week, at least the way I see it right now. Chris, when you take a look at the tight end position, maybe this is a spot where you could find some leverage in ownership. When you talk about a guy like Gronk, you know, if you, th- if you do the math here and well, they don't have too many running backs to go to and Tom Brady's pretty good. And you know, the Jets, aren't exactly a team that you can't throw on by any stretch of the imagination and Gronk scores touchdowns, you know, more so than any tight end in history, essentially, maybe more so than any player in history. I don't remember what the exact stat is I heard, but I mean, this guy just absolutely can get in the end zone like no other. And he's got a hall of famer as his quarterback and they're looking to win the game. So what do you think about Gronk this week? Do you think he's going to be too heavily owned to invest in? No, I don't really think Gronk is ever too too heavily owned, honestly, because he has he always has the highest upside of any tight end on the slates. I mean, even if he's getting into that, you know, 20, 25, you know, percent range, if, you know, three quarters of the field still don't have the highest scoring tight end um, on a week where he goes off, it's going to be it's going to be tough. So I, I think Gronk is clearly the top play at the position and, you know, going beyond that, I think you'll see ownership on guys like Charles Clay, who's had some success against uh, Miami in the past. I think you'll see, you know, Ebron, Jack Doyle, we mentioned. I think those guys will get some ownership. And, and Antonio Gates, um, the, the Raiders actually have given up the most yards in the league to the tight end position this season. So that's, that's you know, that's a plus for for Antonio Gates to kind of repeat what he did. And, you know, uh, maybe I guess you'll probably see, you know, some people on uh, Vance McDonald just because of how poor Cleveland has been at defending the tight end position. But I think that, you know, McDonald's ownership will probably decrease now that they, they, uh, they're going to start Landry Jones. So I think it actually might be good for McDonald because I think he'll still get a lot of, of, of work, you know, because he's kind of, you know, he's not really the starter. He's just a top pass catching tight end at this point. You know, when, when he's been healthy, they've used Jesse James as a blocker more. So even though the backups are playing, I think you'll see McDonald still get a, a, some, some, a good use, good usage in this, in this game. So he's interesting, but I think those, those five, six guys are really where most of the uh, ownership is going to go at tight end this week. Excellent stuff, guys, on the chalk. Now we're going to cap off our show with a look at a guy 
that we think could go under the radar, somebody that you think could be available at low ownership, and there will be many to choose from this week. So, Chris, I'm going to start with you when you take a look at the landscape and you see all the attention being put on these games where everyone's got motivation. You see lots of attention on high-owned plays with high probability of success. Who's got a high ceiling that you think is going to be low-owned this week? Yeah, so, uh, you know, everyone's, you know, all the talk is going to be about all these backups and all these low salary guys and all these situations and how to take advantage of that. But, you know, one guy I'm looking at that hasn't really been talked about as much is Josh Gordon. I mean, Josh Gordon is, you know, talk about motivation. The Browns, now they see kind of a light at the end of the tunnel where it looked like they for sure were going to go 0-16 if the Steelers were going to play their starters in this game and try to lock up that number one seed. But now with the Steelers resting players, you look at the Browns and they're all of a sudden they're highly motivated to come out and give it their all in this game because they could they could get a win and nobody wants to be part of that 0-16 team. So I think you look at that, you know, if the Steelers are resting players, they could potentially rest Joe Hayden, who has struggled with injury uh, this year. They could rest their other top corner, Artie Burns, as well. And I think this is a situation where, listen, Josh Gordon, he actually leads the league in, in market share of air yards. Uh, this season for his team. So he's another guy that even though the stats haven't always been there, you know, Deshaun Kaiser has been uh, inaccurate and and whatnot, but Josh Gordon, 47% of Cleveland's air yards uh, since he has returned that leads the league. It's one percentage point higher than AJ green. So I think Gordon has a ton of upside in this game. And if if the Steelers are resting starters, that actually just improves the situation, even though the over under went down. So maybe you kind of think the opposite that this is just going to be kind of a, uh, you know, a game that you should just completely ignore, but I'm looking at it like, Hey, the Steelers aren't really going to be motivated. The Steelers are going to be playing some backups and the Browns are going to be highly motivated just because they don't want to go 0 and 16 and Gordon is their best player. He's getting, you know, essentially half of all their air yards. So um, why not just kind of air it out and, and see what happens in this game if you're Cleveland and try to be aggressive and get this win. I think Josh Gordon has a uh, a ton of upside here. Great call on Gordon there. I think Bobby is going to be all on board with that one based on his I, smile right I now. I was literally about to say, like, I, I had. it's funny because all these plays we have, and that was the, the one guy who I was just 100% going to say, like, I just thought it was funny because we have so many guys we could choose from, but that was the guy who I would have picked as well, and I think he makes for a great play. Uh, I also think we mentioned Jamal Williams, and, and I think one guy who also I think is going to get way overlooked is C.J. Anderson. Um, they've been sort of force-feeding the ball. He's got a shot at 1,000 yards. Actually, he's only 54 away. Um, I think this is a really good spot for him against a KCD that's not going to all be all there. So he's a guy who I think is going to go a little bit overlooked and a guy with really, 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 uh, really, really high upside. Uh, he put up, you know, 28 last week against Washington. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar type of result this week. Uh, we all know that I'm a fish who does not learn his lesson, but I've got a play here that I think is going to be a little bit lower owned than even one might suspect he would be just based on his matchup and situation. Now, for whatever reason, Russell Wilson was still one of the highest owned players last week and he continued to disappoint. Uh, another player on that team that continues to disappoint if you've been rostering him is Doug Baldwin. And when I look at how the Arizona Cardinals come on defense, they've got Patrick Peterson, who's obviously a very strong cornerback, and Tremont Williams has also played very well, which leaves them to the interior of the defense. As far as if you are going to have success and you're going to be passing the ball against Arizona, you're probably going to be doing it with somebody who lines up in the slot or a tight end or a running back out of the backfield or somebody who is not going to be going up against Patrick Peterson and Tremont Williams. So when I take a look at the Seattle Seahawks and I see their projected 
or implied for 24 points or so, and we expect them to move the ball and win this game at home, well, how are they going to do it? Are they going to be running the ball against the Arizona Cardinals? I don't think so. Are they going to be absolutely mowing them down with Richardson and Lockett on the outside? I don't think so. Is it going to be all Jimmy Graham and his inconsistent performance? Probably not. I would suspect if the Seahawks are going to have success in this game, it's probably going to involve Doug Baldwin, and I just can't imagine he's much higher owned than 10% with all the options that are on this slate. So I'm kind of interested in going back to the well with Doug Baldwin. As I mentioned, I'm a fish who does not learn his lesson, and I will, in fact, pay once again when I have Doug Baldwin on my team this week. I like Guys, it. we are done with the regular season edition of Sharp DFS Analysis. Chris, any parting shots? Oh, man. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to us uh, this whole year. Um, we'll see if we're back for the playoffs. But uh, if not, um, you know, again, just thank you guys for listening. I hope we were able to uh, give you guys something to think about and help you with your DFS game. Bobby, any parting words for Week 17's actions? Yeah, I really appreciate being on the show. And uh, for me, I, I think that it might be one of those weeks that you don't worry about spending all your salary. It sounds crazy on a 16-game slate, but I don't think you need to do that. And I think we might be forcing in some of these higher-priced guys more than we might, necessarily, we might need to just because there, there's a lot of plays out there that I feel pretty confident in in the mid, uh, mid to low tier this week. Awesome job, guys. Bobby, we'll look forward to seeing you more on rotorgrinders.com. Uh, people, please make sure to check out 4 for 4 Dot com and everything that Chris Raybon is up to. Also, be sure to check out the DFS MVP podcast. Excellent listen each and every week. Uh, for Bobby, for Chris, I'm Chris, and best of luck in all of your Week 17 contests.